The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 193. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart, Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position was wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Allons-y! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the second of the two-parter from The Eleventh Doctor, called Cold Blood. Joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, please, uh, we ask you uh, on a regular basis, if you could go to Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts from, and write a review of the show. That is a, an invaluable resource for helping us reach new listeners, and gr- it grows our audience, and it's always good for us and good for you. Uh, and uh, we also really appreciate it when you share the podcast with your friends to let them know that it's here. So this is the second of the two parts of the uh, episode. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, The Hungry Earth. This one is The Cold, cold Blood. It is a refresher. It involves the Silurians, an ancient uh, dinosaur-related humanoid race that was been living underground for oh somewhere between 20 million and 300 million years, <laughs> depending on which part of Doctor Who you ask. And there was this drilling operation in Wales where the Doctor, show, doctor and Amy and Rory showed up. The Silurians were not happy with the drilling. They took, took a human hostage, and they took Amy hostage. They took another human hostage. Right, right. The uh, young boy, so the man Mo, his son Elliot, and Amy are all hostage, and the doctor and companions, uh, the people who were with him, took one of the Silurians hostage. And so we'll the- just hostage them right back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hostage negotiations. Uh, they need Gary Nosner. So they... <laughs> yeah. Stuck in my head. Uh, so for, they, for uh, people who don't know what that is, Gary Nosner was the chief of the FBI hostage negotiation team. He wrote a book called Stalling for Time, My Life as an FBI Hostage Negotiator, which <laughs> we've referenced several times and quoted from on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. <laughs> That's right. So, sorry, just the, the wire's crossing. Uh, so, uh, as we ended the last episode, the doctor and, and one of the, the folks, Nazreen, had gone underground to negotiate the return of uh, the people. Now, this this episode starts up with a voiceover looking at the planet, a voiceover by one of the Silurians that we will end up meeting later in the episode. And this was not originally in the script. Mm. There was no voiceover. This was added in post by Stephen mm-hmm. Moffat. And it's something that Moffat will do on other occasions. He likes to use voiceovers. And this is not something we've really seen a lot in Doctor Who, especially, mm-hmm. I don't recall it ever happening in Classic Who. No, right. it may have, but I don't remember it. We have seen it a little bit before in the Russell T. Davies era, where mm-hmm. uh, Rassilon does a voiceover mm-hmm. uh, in the End of Time thing, but uh, we haven't seen it here. And so 
this is from the name of the Silurian who's talking in the voiceover is Eldane, and he's speaking from a thousand years in the future. Right. And he talks about how the doctor helped us, humans and Silurians, find common ground. But he also, so we know right there there's going to be a positive ending to this episode. Right. But he also alludes to the doctor suffering terrible losses. So we expect to see terrible loss occur in this episode, too. Mm. Although. I'm not sure how the doctor, how Eldane knows the doctor suffered that terrible well, loss. Well, and he, at the end of the episode, he, he, we can talk about that when we get there. <laughs> yes, let's yeah. Because I have an so, idea how he would know. Okay. So anyway, it, it doesn't, like you said, implies that humanity and Silurians will end up living in peace. So uh, the doctor and Nazarene now are walking through this deserted underground city that they discovered at the end of the previous episode, and uh, that they trip an alarm. And are captured, and by the military part of the Silurians, and they seem to have an Amazon, all Amazon military. Yes, mm. well, fierce warriors apparently. And uh, just as the Silurian scientist called, uh, we'll find his name is uh, Malake. Uh, he's about to dissect Amy. We also saw at the end of the last episode he was about to do an alarm goes off requesting that he go identify the species, the Doctor Nazarene that were just captured. Luckily, Amy is an accomplished pickpocket, and she from out of nowhere, from out of nowhere, yeah. she managed to uh, to pickpocket the controls for the restraints, the remote control, out of the Doctor's pocket uh, before he left, and releases herself and Mo, who was with her, the other prisoner. I like her line. It's like, what you've never picked a lizard man's pocket before. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hasn't everyone? Uh, twice a week. So they find, uh, as they're poking around, trying to find out how to get out of there, they, they come across a chamber, they turn on the lights inside, and they find uh, Moe's son, Elliot, sort of some sort of sedation or suspended animation, uh, standing there, hooked up to some machines, eyes open, but unresponsive. And Amy sensibly says, All right, we don't know what we're doing. Let's go find a way to get him out. You know, let's not trip any alarms messing around here and potentially hurting him. In fact, as they're interacting with the controls on the walls, you hear the computer say, like, genetic print not approved. Yeah. Because they're humans, and so they, right. they're not approved to open this. And it, obviously it would set an alarm off if they started smashing things. Yes. I mean, I, I recognize Moe's desire to start smashing things uh, <laughs> to get his son out, but, uh, but yeah, Amy's level-headed. So Moe's like, all right, let's go find some weapons, and we'll we'll force the scientist from the lab to release Elliot. She's like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that as far as you know. So uh, back on the surface, Ambrose and Rory, Ambrose is uh, Moe's wife and Elliot's mother. Uh, they're talking about what's going on, um, about sticking to the doctor's plan of keeping the Silurian hostage safe. And Rory says, I trust the doctor with my life. Uh, yet more foreshadowing here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So the uh, the doctor, meanwhile, is restrained in Malachi's lab, and when they start what they call the decontamination process, he starts convulsing, uh, right. that because it's not compatible with his biology. He looks human, but he's he's not. Well, specifically, what it's doing is it's trying to kill his microbiome. Yes, mm -hmm. and that actually is kind of nice. That you know, they think of that as part of decontamination because our microbiome is actually important. 
But right. because he's human, it's killing the wrong things. He's not human. He's not right. human. It's killing yeah, the wrong things that are actually the good part of his microbiome that are keeping him alive. Yep, However, right. it really so I like that conceptually, but it really shouldn't have effect that quickly. He shouldn't be that dependent on <laughs> on on those microorganisms that he would start dying within seconds of losing them. Yes. Uh, back in the uh, crypt of the church, Tony is, has gone to Alea to ask him to cure her, cure, cure him of her venom bite in exchange for letting her go. But she's like, nope, I want to see you die. <laughs> so like, yeah. she's a very unsympathetic character here. <laughs> she's, mm-hmm. As much as everyone's trying to do good for her, nope, she's, she's very vengeful. So we get a very, like, a very strong vibe of, off of her, of where, she, where, her, where her head is at in this. Um, it turns out that we find out that the drill as it was going down, was, quote-unquote, attacking the oxygen pockets that feed the city, which, to, to the Solorians, seemed to be an attack. Yeah. So, so wait. The drill was opening new holes in the top of the oxygen pockets. Wouldn't that just let more oxygen from the surface down? <laughs> <laughs> You'd think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Unless it was collapsing them. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It, it it doesn't it doesn't bear a lot of Now, weight. but if they're hitting oxygen pockets, do you think they would have noticed that with the drills that all of a sudden, hey, this thing's not drilling through dirt anymore or rock anymore. It's drilling through open air. What's yes. going on down there? And it's oxygen, not another kind of gas. So how is well, that I, possible? I, I, can, I can get the, the idea of not being able to figure out what's inside those pockets. I can get yeah. that. I mean, it's not like they have sensors on the head of the drill. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. Sure, but, sure. But just the idea of the drill is going to act differently. Yeah, when you when hit a hits gas pocket. A pocket. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's going to, all of a sudden it's going to spin up faster or drop quicker. Something's going to change. And they're going to go, oh, we hit something. Right. We should stop and check it out. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the doctor now offers to exchange Alea for the others. Oh, oh, oh. But first, he, they stop decontaminating him. Yep. And he immediately asks for celery. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, I missed it. Yeah, but they don't have any, so they just moves past that. And as they're, as they also, Nazreen is there uh, with him, and they're like waking her up now that they're going to release the doctor and so forth and start talking with him instead of dissecting him. They're going to do the same thing for Nazreen, and, and th- so they wake her up, and she's like, oh, a green man. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! What's with the racism, Nazarene? You're not allowed to refer to anybody's skin color. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah. Well, the celery reference, by the way, goes back to the Fifth Doctor and the Caves of Androzani, where yeah, celery was, turns out the reason the Fifth Doctor was wearing celery all that time was because it was a necessary uh, restorative for uh, for Gallifreyans. At least for him, given an allergy he had to certain gases in the Spectrox range. That's right. That's right. So uh, so anyway, so the doctor offers to exchange Alea for the others, uh, but the military leader, Restak, who is identical and p- perhaps a clones of some sort of Alea, uh, says, no, I'll just kill you as a message instead. Well, they did, they did say that Alea and Restak are the same genetic line. Yeah, she's part part of your genetic line, another way of saying family. Yes, yeah. they're pod siblings. Uh, they came from the the same uh, clutch of eggs. So uh, Amy and Mo, meanwhile, have find some of the warriors in suspended animation and take their weapons, and then walk around a corner and find a huge army standing in place underground. 
I, I find it interesting. So they find these warriors standing in hibernation in these transport tubes up to the surface with mm-hmm. weapons. And I'm thinking, you know, we humans have these things called weapons lockers. <laughs> well, <laughs> And the lockers have locks on them to keep people from just walking up and taking the weapons, which is what Mo and Amy do in this. I guess they don't expect humans to be wandering around 30 kilometers on the ground. You could have a coup. You could have a rebellion. (laughs) I mean, they make a point of they're just like us, except with scales. So, you know, leaving sleeping people with weapons in public is... With the final conclusion of of this episode, as far as how they, they handle all these military people coming at them, I don't think they're too worried about people having a rebellion because all they have to do is hit one switch and they can end yeah. the rebellion like right now. <laughs> right, mm. right. Uh, they, uh, yes. I, I do like the fact that they have a rapid reaction force on call, like right there yeah. on the pad. Yep. That, that's actually a nice uh, touch. Um, so meanwhile, up above, Ambrose discovers Tony's uh, venom, is, uh, he's, that he's been venomized. He's been infected, yeah. Infected, yes. It turns and remember Ambrose is Tony's daughter, so there's that there's that relationship there. The doctor, as they as he's proceeding underground uh, to another location with uh, Restak and Malakay and the others, uh, talks about how the Silurians went underground when they thought the plan a planet was going to smash into the Earth, but it was just the moon entering orbit. And as we discussed last time, uh, Jimmy, you mentioned that not really how we got the moon. No, and not when we got the moon either. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. But he impresses the Silurians with his knowledge. It's like, how could you know that? And it's like, yes. oh, we met some Silurians before. Oh, tell us about them. How are they doing? Oh, well, the humans attacked them and they died. <laughs> right. And, and that is, yeah. But it's like, doctor, why aren't you telling them the other side of the story? If you're really wanting to be a diplomat, you should point out that before the humans attacked them and they died, they attacked the humans trying to make the humans die. Right. right. So the, they were going to wipe out the human race, and this was an act of self-defense. Right. So which should be also a deterrent to you doing this, doing the same thing and ending up the same way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That would be the smart thing to do, Doctor. Uh, and that's, of course, a reference to the third Doctor story, Doctor Who and the Silurians, which we've yep. talked about. So Ambrose goes and confronts Alea and demands that she heals her dad or she'll taser her. She, she's got that taser that the Doctor told her to leave behind earlier. But Alea forces her to shoot her. Well, taunts her into it. Uh, but they grapple, right? Doesn't it? Like, yeah. Like, and and, and uh, she taunts her to getting into getting close enough, and then they start right. grappling, and Ambrose like starts tasing her, partly out of taunting and maybe partly out of self defense at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, wow, those those weaknesses that Silurians have that Tony <laughs> wanted to find out about. Yeah, this turns out to be one of them. Taser. Yeah. No wonder humans keep winning because just a couple of taser shocks and it'll kill a Silurian warrior. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I think we're pretty safe from the Silurians, no matter what their technology. <laughs> so uh, and then she does she does the old I knew it would be you who killed me, the weakest and the one with the most to lose. And then uh, Rory, a nurse, by the way, tries to save her, but uh, she dies because she's not human. But his attempt to save her is tell us what to do for you. And I, under- yeah. I understand that that he doesn't have, you know, medical training on Silurian anatomy, but still, there are certain general principles you could use, like maybe CPR, 
If someone's right. just been electrocuted and has died, probably their heart has been shocked out of rhythm by that, and maybe try CPR. I mean, I was watching a video on YouTube last night about caring for a baby armadillo, that ha- and there's almost no research on baby armadillos, but when this one started to die, its rescue owner gave it CPR. And it's yeah. like, okay, so if, you know, it, it makes works sense. Works on an armadillo. <laughs> works on an armadillo. Yeah. Baby armadillo probably would be a good thing to do to a dead Silurian. Right. She's only mostly dead. I mean, to be fair, trying to figure out where the heart is, though, within the Silurian body would be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, but just start depressing the chest cavity and blowing into the mouth. I'd aim for what I thought, where I know it is on a human, and hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> So Restak uh, brings the doctor and Nazarene into uh, their courtroom where they're going to execute them because apparently there's no trial going to happen, just an execution. Uh, but Amy and Mo are lying in wait and are easily disarmed. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, wah, wah. Uh, so the, the, the Silurians are weak on uh, electricity, but they are easily, they're better at disarming people. Hmm. On the surface in that crypt, uh, somehow Restak activates an unplugged computer monitor. <laughs> And communicates <laughs> through it and demands to speak to their leader, even though there is no microphone or camera attached, but whatever. Wireless power. Yes. Wireless power, no camera, no microphone, but it just It works. is 2010. The camera and microphone might be hidden. And that big CRT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that thing was old when they filmed that show. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, she just, uh, she does demand to see Alea, but Ambrose refuses unless they release everyone because they can't show her Alea because it's bad. Uh, Restax going to execute Amy, but that's when Eldane shows up, and Eldane is apparently from the. It's a stratified society or a, a caste based yeah. society, and yeah. Eldane is from the leadership caste, apparently. So apparently, we later learned that for centuries, the scientist Moloke and his family have been on duty, and everybody else has been asleep. For the last 300 years, it's just been him on duty. Doing mm-hmm. his sciencey stuff, but then when the drilling started, they woke up an elite force within the military caste to check out the situation, as you do. And so Restak, who has a scar to tell us that she's a warrior and that she's not her sister Alea, mm-hmm. as well as brown highlights in her scales, mm-hmm. she got woken up to, uh, to head the elite investigation military thing. And she and Moloke are on the same level in terms of their authority, so neither one can trump the other. But when she starts to exceed her authority and dismisses Moloke, saying, "This is we're just going to execute these people, he went off and woke up a higher-level leader. And so that's who Eldane is, and he swooshes in in his judicial-looking robes and takes control of the situation. Right. She says, I don't recognize your authority at this time, Eldane. And he says, well, then you have to shoot me. <clears throat> and then Malachi says, we're not monsters and neither are they. While you were sleeping, they evolved. And, and so that's the, his point is human beings are not the, the uh, violent apes that you, th- you thought they were. Uh, although <laughs> we are. <laughs> <He's but disputed. laughs> so the, the doctor says, okay, we need to bring Alea down. Uh, so uh, Rory, uh, Tony, uh, bring them, bring them down. And Rory and Tony don't tell him that she's dead. Like they, they, mm-hmm. they're going to surprise the doctor with this news, which is not a good idea. Uh, meanwhile, the doctor tells the Solarians, 
and the humans in his presence that this is not a fixed point in time, that this is an opportunity to change future events for the better for Earth. And so he wants Amy and Nazarene to negotiate on behalf of all of humanity with the Salorians uh, for the future of Earth. And there's a, there are a few implausibilities here. One of them is, okay, the real thing you do here is say, let's get some government officials in contact with you and yeah, right. let have the United Nations or at least the UK government negotiate with y'all. So Eldane says to the doctor, are you empowered to negotiate on behalf of the human race? And the doctor says, me? No. But these two are, which is not true. Right. Right. But at least Nazarene and Amy talk to each other in the presence of Eldane about how whatever we come up with, we're going to have to sell it to people on the surface. Right. So they acknowledge up front they don't have the ability to enter into a binding agreement. We're going to have whatever we work out here today is going to have to be sold after the fact. Right. Right. Also, the idea this is not a fixed point in time, really? I mean, what's on the table is sharing the surface of planet Earth and introducing massive new technology that humans didn't previously have. Mm. That's going to dominate <laughs> or not what happens yeah. for the next thousand years. And you would yeah. think this would be a fixed point in time right. that needs to go a certain way to preserve the overall human <laughs> timeline. <laughs> if, uh, but just remember, the fixed point in time is, is, operates on, on the concept of plot. Right. Well, that's the thing is once they've introduced the idea of a fixed point in time to preserve the timeline, then they they just have to throw it out when they want to. I mean, it's just it's very yeah. It was a bad idea to begin with, and now they they're stuck with it. Well, I don't know that it's a bad idea to begin with, but it needs to be used better than it is. Right. Mm. Right. Uh, meanwhile, Ambrose pulls Tony aside, and they they want to come up with a she wants to come up with a plan as a sort of insurance policy. For whatever happens when they go underground, we're not told what it is. Oh, but we we can we can guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does something with the drill. The doctor and Mo go with uh, Malachi to go get Elliot. Malachi, this is where he reveals that he's been studying humanity for the last three hundred years. The doctor apologizes for letting Elliot get uh, captured, which was a nice uh, nice of him to do. I don't know. I mean, the doctor was in the middle of trying to deal with an emergency situation, and Elliot says, I'm going to go get my earphones, and the doctor, like, waves him off. Okay, yeah, in hindsight, that was bad, but at the moment, I don't know that we can really blame the doctor. Well, he did promise that, no, you know, everyone would be safe, and then he kind of didn't. Oh. And that he would watch watch for him and everything yeah. and make sure that well, he Well, if get... we're going to hold the doctor to his promises. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> So uh, we we have a scene where Eldane is negotiating with Amy and Nazarene, and Amy proposes they live in the deserted places on the planet. Uh, but Eldane says, look, you know, we're not coming empty-handed. We obviously have advanced technology. Oh, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> Malachite now discovers that Restak is activating the rest of her army, and she kills him for that, so he can't reveal her plan to, to carry out a coup. And that's when Tony arrives in Rory and Ambrose, but Tony is carrying Alea's body, and the doctor's like, what did you do? And uh, the, the uh, revelation of the bad thing. Ambrose takes responsibility, says, I did it, and then says, this is our planet. And the doctor says, in the future, when you talk about this, you tell people there was a chance, but you were so much less than the best of humanity. And this is the first of the doctor, like, severely shaming Ambrose for being less than the best of humanity, that 
Mm-hmm. And later on, it's mm-hmm. going to be like, raise your son to be the best of humanity that you could not be. Right. And he's yeah. just like really shaming on, on Ambrose. Right. And of course, this has the effect of causing the Silurians, uh, or the warrior Silurians, to attack the humans, to uh, kidnap and perhaps kill Ambrose's husband and son. And so Alea. Uh, Restak. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Um, because Alea is dead. Well, so no, actually, this was a different point. I'm sorry. I, I, okay. The, this I, I misread my point. So I was making a note here. So the uh, the Silurians are the ones who attack the humans. They kidnap mm-hmm. and, as far as Ambrose knew, killed Am- Mo and Elliot. Then Alea forces essentially Ambrose to kill her because she's, you, I want you to kill me. So it starts a war. You know, after poisoning Ambrose's father, and it's the humans who are violent and must be killed. Like it, it just it yeah. seems sort of implausible to yeah, the, accuse the, the humans of being violent. The, the warrior the, cast of the, of the Silurians definitely don't come off as uh as peaceful, likable, <laughs> likable, yeah. right? I I like the fact that they have division in the yeah. Silurian race, so we don't yes. have a monolithic opponent. It's like you've got you've got Silurians that are anti-human, like Alea and Restak. You've got Silurians that are pro-human, like Eldad and Malakay. By the way, notice he's subverting the standard male female trope here. Again, right. Chibnall is. Mm-hmm. And I like subversion of tropes. So all of that's I like. It is pretty cardboard the way right. the warriors in this episode are. And the doctor is being really one-sided in apportioning out the shade. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, doctor, I if, if Ambrose needs some shade because she was goaded into using a non-lethal weapon on a person not yeah. knowing it would kill them. In defense, the, what in defense. about all yeah. the stuff the Silurians have been doing here? I think they need yeah. some. They you've been less than the best of Silurianism. I mean, you know, come <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> the, the doctor comes off be- less than the best of Time Lords. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and this is this is where we talk about you know the speechifying where, where Chibnall speechifying comes out. Yeah. So uh, we find out that Tony and Ambrose had set the drill to begin drilling again after fifteen minutes, unless they were able to. Turn it off. So uh, this so you is got to have the ticking, the ticking time bomb. You know. Yes. Uh, Restek calls their bluff. The doctor, meanwhile, the Sonic is apparently uh, death to the uh, Solarian's weapons. Oh, Every time he points it at them, and their guns explode. Which <laughs> boom, is boom, great. Boom. I, it, it is. It is great. I like seeing the Sonic used to like disarm people in this way. That I yeah. don't recall that ever seeing it that way, not that effectively before. Right. Uh, they get they so they they all escape to the lab back to Malik's lab and in the lab the the doctor tells Tony that you're not dying you're mutating which I'm not sure uh, what the effective difference is and why they make it that that way but uh, well I assume he's becoming like a uh, Homo reptilicus now yeah yeah well, I'm not sure but as for story reasons I'm not sure why they bothered with the you're mutating not dying thing yeah well maybe to take the edge off the dying part. Because, guess, because yeah. well, and because of the ending, right? Well, yeah, he asked Eldane to decontaminate him to take the the, the venom out. Um, El, and then Eldane says, oh, "By the way, my solution here is I'm going to initiate toxic fumigation of the city, uh, which means the, an alarm will sound. All the warriors know they're going to have to get into their cryo chambers before the toxic gas kills them." Uh, so and this the, this is this is where you know I said earlier about the mutiny is not so much of a worry, you know, with them carrying the having the weapons in stasis. <laughs> Because all you need to do is have a leader hit that big red button that says, okay, we're going to, you know, get back into stasis or you die. 
Yes. Right. So uh, the doctor says, okay, so here's the deal. Everybody listening, Eldane, you activate shutdown. I'll amend the system and set your alarm for a thousand years' time. A thousand years to sort the planet out, to be ready. Pass it on as legend or prophecy or religion, but somehow make it known this planet is to be shared. Again, the doctor yeah. as as the, the, the prophet uh, who speaks mm. the truth for all to follow. Um, and I, I'm sorry, but people's religion, this is, this is like an element of, and it's not just Chibnall. It is Chibnall, yes. yep. but it's not just Chibnall. It's like, I'm yes. sorry, no, people's religions are sacred. You don't yep. mess with them for mm-hmm. some other goal. Pass it down as a legend, a prediction, you know, something, well, but don't try to tamper with people's religions. That is immoral. Mm-hmm. Well, but yeah. it's viewing religion as nothing more than legend and myth. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's all. It's that that the idea of prophecy and legend and religion and myth are all basically the same thing. They're just stories that have been passed down from generation to generation that may or may not have some elements of the truth. And that's that's yeah. If there's a criticism of Doctor Who, that's one of them is that it treats religion in this way. Well, not all the time. Well, and I'm saying in modern Who, it's it has. A and lot. still, even not all the time, but there's quite a bit of it. It does, though. Yes. Yeah, and and it's a broader trend in in television, both in 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 seems to. Be, I think it's in some ways British television is more open to religion than American television is, but it's also more negative towards yeah. it and in I, other elements. And it just makes me want to have a conversation with Chris Chibnall and a taser. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I wonder if that openness, though, is because of the connection between the Church of England and the government, mm. and that so that it's much more prevalent in their day and day and eight, or day to day life. You know, they see religion in one way or the other more than we might hear because we have the the mm. separation of church yeah. and state. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's an interesting conversation. It might be a little far afield for us, but yeah, um, no, it'd I'd, be interesting. I'd, it'd be interesting to think about, though. Yeah. So uh, it turns out that Tony, the the decontamination that will save Tony uh, will take too long. They don't have the time because the drill, you know, the tick, the clock is ticking. So he's going to have to be left behind. And Nazarene says, "Well, I'm going to stay with you." There's there's there is a relationship that is budding between them. So that was revealed early mm-hmm. on. And so she'll she's going to stay with them. They'll go into high, suspended animation and emerge in a thousand years. And now the part of the episode that Chris Chibnall has written is basically over, and Stephen Moffat takes over from here on out. Yep. By the way, uh, yet another time travel plot hole. Why can't the Doctor just go a thousand years in the future, pick them up, and bring them home? But you know. Yep. Well, and and actually, that that's <laughs> what I want kind of mention. I mentioned last week. Yeah. You know that there's an openness here, and this is this is something that I almost would not be surprised at all if at some point in Chris Chibnall's run, they go back to this story, and but find a thousand Nazarene. years from now. Yeah. yeah, for Tony and Nazarene. And, you know, as, as an openness to, as a way to bring the Silurians back under, say, 13, you know. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it, will it happen? Probably not, but it wouldn't surprise me if it does, because this was written, in my, my ears anyways, as something openness. Yeah. As an openness to, this could be a future story that we could come back to. Hmm. Until what happened, then what happens in, a th- you know, in a thousand years when the doctor right. shows up again to then do the. And the Solarians are emerging and the humans and the Solarians have to live together. That's an interesting idea. Yep. Uh, we've already seen that the Cyberman, we've already seen that the Daleks. So, you know, seeing the Solarians is not 
uh, out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, will, will it happen? Probably not. But I, I could see if, if Chris Chibnall was attached to the story enough that he would revisit it. Right. So uh, the rest of everyone has run back to the TARDIS where it's been sitting. Moe and Ambrose and Elliot go inside. Uh, but the Doctor and Amy and Rory stop because they see the crack in the wall, the, the infamous crack that was in Amy's bedroom wall. And it's opening, and the Doctor decides to find out what caused the explosion that has spread out through all of space and time. And so he, he says, where there's um, an explosion, there's shrapnel. So he reaches inside to grab some shrapnel. We don't see what it is yet because he's wrapped it in a cloth. Uh, and this is when Restak crawls into the room because she's... And he hasn't seen it because he reached in with the cloth. Yes, right. yes. Um, and so Restak crawls in and was trying to shoot at the Doctor. But Rory shoves him out of the way and gets hit, uh, and Rory dies. Amy is devastated. She she says uh, he didn't. She doesn't deserve him, which is a nice recognition because she didn't until the until no. now. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the light from the cracks. Uh, Restack is dead. She was dying as she shot the the light from the crack starts to absorb Rory, just like we saw in the um, the Weeping Angels episode where. People are absorbed into the crack and don't ex- have a, have never existed. So he's starting to be absorbed. The doctor drags Amy away to, into the TARDIS and tries to help her to remember him because you know he's he's saying just like then when you're a time traveler, it's like she says when you're a time traveler, it's supposed to protect you from forgetting. Says yeah, but he's part of your personal timeline, so mm-hmm. you need to hold on to him, and she's unable to. And, yep. uh, well, she's almost able to, and we go inside her mind, and we're seeing her memories of Rory, and the doctor, you know, tells her, keep keep him in your mind. If you forget him, you'll lose him forever. And then, like, the TARDIS has alert as yep. it's landing or materializing or something, and that lurch distracts her, and she yep. loses Rory in an instant. I remember when I first watched this, because again, when I first watched this, there was no sense that that Rory could ever be back. Mm-hmm. I was real. I thought this was really m- moving. This, yeah. this whole scene and yeah. unexpected, completely. Well, you see the her memories of him fading out. Yeah, as they're being, mm-hmm. you know, as she's forgetting about him. Right, right. Also, Rory has a line just as he's dying. He remembers the beginning of the two parter and says, "But we were on the hill." Yes. So yeah. he assumes he w- he assumed he was going to live, right? Because they they saw themselves from ten years in the future at the beginning of the episode. But Karen Gillian's acting is really good yeah. in yeah. all of this. I mean, she becomes hysterical. She becomes uh, focused. She's sad. She has this big range of emotions. She's like pounding on Matt Smith with her fists. He like has to physically grab her to stop her, and it is she is she gets a a lot of really good acting in here, mm-hmm. and I'm really impressed with the way she sells this. Yeah, so good. This is one of the things that really really made me like the Amy Rory dynamic in this era of Doctor Who. I just uh, that the two of them uh, really sell the their uh, together. Amy without Rory is not as good as Amy and Rory and the Doctor. Let's just put it that way, and yeah, this right. sells it. Yeah, and it, uh, this also puts the exclamation point on Amy's choice. Yes, right. that it's like, yeah, no, she's not into the Doctor. This is where this is where her heart really is. It's Rory. Right, right, and all of those you know uh, moments earlier in these two episodes where you know the the Doctor's going to suffer a great loss. Uh, that 
uh, that the Rory says, you know, the the doctor, I would trust the doctor with my life, and all these other things really come to a head here. Um, they they could have almost have replayed those as a montage uh, yeah. for us if you know, if they wanted to be obvious about it. But uh, so the it really comes to a head at this point. So um, afterward, back on the surface of the of the Earth, uh, Ambrose says the doctor could have let the Silurians kill her. As oh, justice. For, first, though, once we get back out on the surface, the pulse that they sent up from below destroys the drilling oh, yeah. rig, so they've got a big yep. boom. Yes, yes, yes. So the uh, she says um, the doctor could have let the Solorians kill her as justice for what she had done, but he says an eye for an eye is never the way, which that sounds very familiar to me. Well, uh, yeah, yep. and it's yet another. <laughs> it's, people do not understand the eye for an eye part of the Old Testament. It's primarily, or one of its functions, is to limit the way justice was done in the ancient yep. world to fit the crime. Because if you took out someone's eye, you'd likely get killed for it. It's like, right. no, 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 no. Let's scale this down. Just let the punishment fit the crime. Don't right. go beyond that and do further harm. Well, that was that was like, there's, there's a, I can't remember the number, but there's, you know, number of lashes that if you go over this point, you're treating them as a slave, not, a, not as, as punishment. Or oh, it's right. just flat out forbidden to go yeah. beyond beyond uh, a certain number 39? of lashes. 39. 39. Well, 40, but they built a hedge around it in case of a miscount and made it 39. Yeah, because it, it was, as I remember reading, it was basically, uh, you go over that, you're treating them as, like you're your slave, I not don't just think, that they're being punished. I, I don't think it's, I don't recall the you're treating them as a slave part. And I, I think I, that I might, applied I might to, be misreading. I, I think that was everybody, including slaves, could not be lashed more than 40 times. But either way, yeah, like you said, there's but there's a limit to it, though. You can't go any further. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was Jesus who said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Um, but I, I tell you but now, you know, that whoever slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. L love your enemies. and yeah. Right. So it, I, I kind of felt like that's what the, the, the Chris Chibnall through the doctor was, was referencing mm -hmm. was that, that well-known mm -hmm. bit. And then he, this is when he does tell her, now you show your son how wrong you were. Now, how there's another way, you make him the best of humanity the way you couldn't be. So is that, that shade? And she accepts it. Like, yeah, you're right. I was mm -hmm. not the best I could be in that situation. I, I still, I, I, she did not have lethal intent. I mean, right. okay, I can see she's in, you know, she may not have the presence of mind at this point, because if you, even if you accidentally kill somebody, Mm -hmm. A normal person is going to react very badly to that, and she's going to have issues for years to come after accidentally killing somebody. Right, yeah. right. Uh, so this is when Amy comes out and waves at herself all alone across the valley. And so, so earlier it was Amy and Rory. Now with the time has changed, it's just Amy uh, mm. uh, waving to herself across the way. And uh, she gets the sense that something's missing, right? That for Oh, I, I thought I saw someone else there for a second, uh, she yep. says. And uh, then she's like, oh, what about Rio? And heads into the TARDIS. And that's when the doctor remembers to pull out his bit of shrapnel that he got earlier, unwraps it, and it's part of the door of the TARDIS. So we get a singed clear idea. And, singed and broken. So yes. the implication is the explosion that caused the cracks in time involves the TARDIS exploding. Right. Yep. And uh, very ominous. Dun, dun. And Eldad is back in voiceover narration referring to how they're remembering what the doctor did in helping them find common ground and also the losses he suffered and the greater losses that were still to come. So, like, how does Eldad know about these losses? Because he wasn't there when Rory died. Yes. And he doesn't know about the TARDIS blowing up. 
So how does he know this stuff? Well, here's my headcanon. He's in the future. Duh. He looked yeah. it up. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's like River Song in The Husbands of River Song. I'm an archaeologist. I dug you up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That was yeah, it's probably in the uh, f- Wikipedia heads a thousand years. Uh, the entry on the doctor probably has this. If not, the doctor comes back in, in her 13th regeneration and tells him all about it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, any uh, final notes on uh, Cold Blood or the Hungry Earth, uh, Father Corey? Nothing here. Jimmy? Better than I remembered, but still has significant flaws and, you know, eh, it, it's there. Uh, the best part of it for me was the, the end with Amy, Rory, and the Doctor the, mm-hmm. the and the implications it has for the greater arc, which, as you've noted, was probably written by Stephen Moffat anyway. <laughs> so, mm. so, uh, Let's wrap things up by taking a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Joshua S., Edgar M., Peter O., Matthew K., and Michael H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What do you think of these two parts, The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the first Doctor story, The Rescue. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aitken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, super squeaky bump time! Right! This is going to be fun. I didn't get that line. Uh, that's when you clench your cheeks. Oh. <laughs> you're, you're a better man than I am, Jimmy. <laughs>